Peace Women Across the Globe. A podcast about women's contribution to peace building all over the world. What if we don't get the Nobel Peace Prize? What then? That's what we asked ourselves because we wanted to make the peace work for all these women visible. In all its diversity. We wanted people to take notice of them. It was all a huge success. We had a lot of media coverage to make these women visible. For many of them, this popularity was also a kind of protection, while for others it would have been impossible to participate in the nomination process, because this would have endangered them. So we really had to take care of each woman we included in the project. My name is Ruth Gabi Vermo. I am the president of Peace Women Across the Globe and also the founder of the initiative 1000 Women for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005. I was born in Solothurn. Both my mother and my father were unskilled laborers. My mother had a temporary job and worked at home. She got up every morning at four o'clock to go down in the cellar, where she applied the slots to tiny screws, one after another. That's the work she did, slotting the heads of screws ready for the screwdriver. She worked for 10 to 12 hours a day, from early morning to late afternoon. During winter, she wore a heavy coat against the cold. I grew up with the sound of this the sound of her machine in my ears. My mother was a very committed woman. I still see her sitting at the kitchen table with her friends, drinking tea mixed with wine and choking and laughing. My brothers and sisters always wondered what these women were talking about. All we heard were words like social justice, equality for women, and so on. These were new and exciting words to us. My father verschwindet so ein bisschen in my biography. My father is more or less absent in my biography. He didn't really play a big role in my childhood. He was an unskilled laborer and worked as a traveling woodcutter. That is, he went from house to house with his mechanical saw and cut wood for the residents, which they could then store in the cellar. He was a silent man, but we really didn't care what he did. Later in life, he found work at a screw manufacturing factory in Solothurn. Our family was poor. In contrast to a number of very rich families who lived in Solothurn at the time. What is more, I went to school with these rich kids. 
I used to give them a good trashing from time to time, boys and girls alike, and this was due, I guess, to the sense of injustice I felt all the time. My brothers and sisters and I wore patched clothes. Our mother didn't have time to prepare corn cuts for us every morning, and perhaps we looked a bit muddy now and then. In other words, we were the kids nobody really wanted to be friends with. And that hurt. Das war oder zu Freundinnen haben wollte und das war vielleicht ähm, ja, das war auch verletzend halt. Und ich habe mal in als ich etwa in der vierten Klasse war, hatte war ich in einem Lager, das war dann Once, when I was in my fourth year, we went to a school camp. We were asked to bring along a knife, a spoon, a fork and a dessert spoon. But in our family we didn't have dessert spoons, as we never had dessert. So I stole one from a rich schoolmate. Unfortunately, the spoon had the family's coat of arms engraved on it. But I firmly claimed, this is my dessert spoon, we have the same at home. This led to a real scandal. But I never caved in and insisted that this was my dessert spoon. Und das war dann ein Skandal in diesem Lager. Ich habe nie gesagt, dass ich den Löffel gestohlen habe. Ich bin bis zuletzt habe ich gesagt, das ist mein Löffel. Wir haben auch diese Löffel zu Hause. Women and girls bear the brunt of conflict, the inequalities that Mir mangelte Gerechtigkeit. Mir I grew up with a lack of justice. I had no place in society. My position was constantly questioned, and I always had to defend myself. I guess that's the reason why I developed a political consciousness so early on in my life. Politics have been my life ever since, I guess. Das hat mich geprägt. Diese ständige Wachsamkeit, dass irgendetwas Those were the kind of experiences that left their marks on me. The fact that I constantly had to watch out, that I didn't become the victim of aggression, that something might happen, that I could be run over, that I wouldn't be able to hold my own. All this under the wings of a mother who never let us down, whatever happened. She reprimanded us, yes, but she never let us down. She had us ausgeschimpft, she had us criticized. Aber im Stich gelassen hat sie mich, hat sie uns nie. Und ein anderes Beispiel, warum ich eigentlich alle diese Arbeit mache. Ich wollte ja immer ins Gimmi. Das lag natürlich nicht drin. Keines unserer meiner Geschwister konnte ein Studium machen. And here's another example of why I'm doing this work. Neither my brothers nor my sisters or I ever had the opportunity of attending secondary school, let alone university. We all had to go to work as early as possible. I was forced to become a commercial employee. It was terrible. I started my apprenticeship, but I had a boss who didn't stop touching me and making insinuating jokes all the time. So after two weeks, I quit, with my mother's support. I started another apprenticeship at an attorney's office. But after two months, the attorney called my parents and told them that he couldn't keep me on any longer because I had the habit of correcting his legal texts. Moreover, 
He said that I always finish my work much earlier than scheduled. So he made a proposition. The proposition was that I should attend high school and that he would keep on paying my salary throughout my school years. And that's what he did. What an incredible story. I am so infinitely grateful to this person. He knew exactly what I wanted, that I wanted to go to university one day, and he also understood that I needed the money. Just like my brothers and sisters who had to work right from the start. Ich konnte immer gut schreiben und da habe ich Deutsch studiert. Und dann ist mein Professor gestorben und ich habe dann gemerkt, den mochte ich gut. Eigentlich ist es auch nicht mein Deutsch. I have always been good at writing, so I decided to study German language and literature. But then my professor died and I changed my mind. In the end, I didn't really like all this theory stuff and highbrow talk. So I switched to social anthropology and went on to study under Professor Bühler. That was the time when social anthropologists began ditching the old materialistic approach to anthropology. You know, counting knots and arrows and all that stuff. A more political approach to social anthropology was gradually emerging. And we were part of it. Remember, these were the 60s, and then came 1968, which meant we really didn't care too much about all these traditional approaches to society and material culture. Ich habe ja in den 68er Jahren war ich ja in in Togo und habe meine meine Doktorarbeit zu Frauenrechten gemacht. In 1968, I went to Togo for my PhD thesis on women's rights. I only came back to Switzerland in 1976. Before that, I spent with my husband and one child a couple of years in countries like Burkina Faso and Benin, where I studied traditional court trials. I have then Die Gerichtsverhandlungen, die fanden einfach ähm, von Zeit zu Zeit statt. Da bin ich immer hingegangen und es ging häufig um Gewalt. The court trials very often dealt with issues regarding women's rights. Traditionally, women were excluded from heritage. That is, in case of a divorce, they not only lost their children, but also their gardens. In other words, everything. Sie verloren ihre Gärten an die Männer. Es war einfach, die Frauen waren immer rechtlos. Als ich dann 76 zurückkam, habe ich die Schulstelle Dritte Welt aufgebaut. Die Schulstelle Dritte Welt kümmerte sich darum, dass in den Schulen When I came back to Switzerland in 1976, I founded the Schulstelle Dritte Welt, an organization whose aim it was to foster human rights education, consciousness of the gap between rich and poor, and similar issues in school education. We founded the Schulstelle in order to offer an alternative to teaching geography and history in the traditional way. You know, rivers, seas, capitals, wars and all that stuff. This was an important experience, and that's when I decided to join the Social Democratic Party 
and to run for a seat in the city parliament of Bern. These were exciting and happy years, because when you are in politics, at a local level, you are close to everything, to the kindergarten the city council has set up, to the trees that have been planted. It was very human, very close. Ich war im Nationalrat, war ich, habe ich vor allem ähm, Asylpolitik gemacht. Ich habe aber auch ganz viel Außenpolitik gemacht, weil ich ja Mitglied des Europarates war. Das war meine riesen. Later, I got elected to the Swiss National Parliament. In my work, I focused on foreign relations, on questions of migration and asylum. This, among other reasons, because I was also elected to the Parliament of the European Council. I was a member of the Human Rights Commission and of the Commission dealing with refugees. So I had the opportunity to travel abroad, especially to countries in Eastern Europe, such as Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia and so on. Among many other things, I got the chance of organizing a roundtable with women from Armenia and Azerbaijan regarding the refugee situation. So I went to these refugee camps and what I saw there was really horrible. In der Auseinandersetzung um die Flüchtlinge, also wie behandeln wir die Flüchtlinge? Und ich war in diesen Flüchtlingscamps und habe da grauenhafte Dinge gesehen. The women's movement came to the UN headquarters and said, we would like a resolution whereby women must be part and parcel of peace negotiations. Ich war ja auch noch in Georgien und da Georgien war gerade der Krieg, Abkhazien wurde abgetrennt. Und da bin ich auch mit diesen Frauen, die haben dann mit den russischen Soldaten, die Georgierbäuerinnen, abgemacht, dass sie über, nach Abkhazien, die waren an der Grenze. When I was in Georgia, the war had just finished. Abkhazia was segregated and they met these women who had managed to hit a deal with Russian soldiers at the border to Abkhazia so as to get to their fields and bring home some potatoes. These women got organized. They took their fate into their own hands. That's what I encountered all the time. Women struggling for a better life. Women fighting for their rights. When I was in Togo, I met women who fought against their husbands who used them as cheap workers on their cotton fields. Men had everything. Women had nothing. So they went on strike. So wherever I went, I always encountered women who were willing to fight with the words, that's not the way you are going to treat us. And still, nobody talked about it. Then I went to Chechnya, a country that was still at war. I landed in a small town in a Russian helicopter, and I walked into a group of women who had just come out of a totally destroyed building. They pulled me down into the cellar where they lived, a horrible place, almost uninhabitable, full of rats. The women said, we really need help now. There are things we can fix by ourselves. We can rebuild our houses. We can put together our classrooms. But there are other things we need desperately. One very young woman got up, she was about 14 years old, and said, I need books. Every day I go from house to house to collect the children in order to bring them here, to this hole. This is our school here, where the rats live. What I need are books, books with pictures of pretty and undamaged houses and towns, with pictures of landscapes and cows, 
books that give us hope, but also books on math. Her name was Lara. I said, okay, I'll be back in three months and I'll bring with me all you need. In Bern, I went to a friend of mine who was the director of the shopping center. I told him the story and he said, I should take whatever I needed. And that's what I did. But when I returned three months later, with all the pencils and the books and the paper, I learned that Lara had been killed by snipers whilst collecting the children for school. Das war furchtbar. Das war furchtbar, aber das hat mir dann gezeigt, ich bin dann zurückgekommen von irgendeiner That was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Back at the European Council, I had a meeting with a group of women from Switzerland. It was October, time for the Nobel Peace Prize. So I said, one day, a thousand women should be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The others, all women representing women's organizations, said, okay, do it. We're here to help you. I didn't think about it for quite some time, not least because I was unable to imagine how I should manage this huge task. Then I went to spend a wellness week with some friends of mine, you know, sauna, some gossip, women's empowerment, and so on. When I spoke about my idea, the others said, Come on, let's do it. So we began raising money. We looked for women all over the world for nomination. And we found 20 coordinators worldwide. We wanted it done in a very short period of time. The coordinators came to Switzerland about six times. Many local organizations lent us their support. The Frauenverein Zürich, for instance, offered free accommodation, and the Swiss Army even put some buses at our disposal, and so on. I also want to mention Maren Hartje and my daughter. Both were crucial for the development of the project. Maren Hartje, die damit, die damit trug, war eine ganz gewiegte Organisatorin für das. Wir haben dann die Kriterien gemacht. Meine Tochter ist dann dazu gestoßen. Sie hat dieses Projekt maßgeblich mit Maren Hartjen mitgetragen. Wir haben dann äh, eben die Kriterien, welche Frauen wollen wir, wollen ja nicht einfach Nicht alle Frauen sind gute Frauen, nicht alle Frauen sind Friedensfrauen, nicht alle Frauen gehören in diese tausend Frauen, sondern sie müssen eine langfristige Arbeit Then we had a long discussion about the criteria of nomination, because not all women are peaceful and not all women are peace women. What we were looking for were women who had worked for a long time in and with their communities. Their work had to be outstanding in some way and they shouldn't merely be the companion of some rich and powerful man. There was a lot of paperwork to do. 
we needed the women's consent. So we had to set up a database. It was a lot of work in a very short period of time. By 2004, we had a list of 2,000 women. And then the selection process began. We didn't want to nominate 2,000 or just 10. We wanted exactly 1,000 women to receive the Nobel Peace Prize 2005. As ever, the announcement from Oslo preceded by much speculation, but coming as something of a surprise. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided that the Nobel Peace Prize. That was quite a piece of work. We were a group of women, all feminists, so we didn't have to discuss feminism, you know, but of course we also had some arguments. There were so many issues and some things also went wrong. The project got stuck from time to time. For instance, we didn't find enough women in such a huge country as Russia. We had to deal with China and Taiwan, Israel and Palestine. We said six women for Palestine, six for Israel, and to be listed as separate countries. Those were only some of the discussions we had, besides all the questions whether a nomination would empower these women or put them at risk, and so on. There was resistance in the Security Council, there was resistance out of the Security Council, but the overwhelming majority of members were in support. 31st of October 2000, the Security Council recognized for the first time the role that women have been playing. Those in favor, please raise their hand. Weiter sichtbar machen hieß auch für uns, dass wir to make these women visible, we created an exhibition with a thousand women featuring each one of them. In fact, the exhibition consisted of a box containing the portraits and the stories of all the women inside. We sent these boxes to every single one of the thousand women. So their portraits were shown across the world, in schools, in museums, etc. The idea behind this was to tell the world that these women stood for peace, for feminism and for pacifism. These women didn't want to be cast aside and forgotten, neither after nor during an armed conflict. Sie stehen für Pazifismus. Diese Frauen wollen etwas anderes, als immer ständig die Trümmerfrauen zu sein nach Kriegen. Dieses Sichtbarmachen haben wir dann auch gemacht, indem wir am 26. Juni 2005, wo der Nobelpreis überreicht werden sollte an die Frauen, haben wir dann um 11 Uhr morgens weltweit, das macht also 24 Stunden lang, Pressekonferenzen gemacht. On the day of the Nobel Prize Award, we organized press conferences around the world, at 11 a.m. for 24 hours. And we published a book of 2,000 pages, a book that documented each of the nominees' work and Vita. 
To get photographs of all the nominees, we went in search for a photo agency. Magnum Photo offered to do the work, but at a price of 6,000 Swiss francs per picture. That, of course, was impossible. And so, once again, we had this feeling that things were falling apart. We really were in despair. Then the editor suggested that we should ask every single woman to take a picture of herself. What we got was a highly diverse, a variegated selection of photographs. And that's what made the book so charming. I really loved that book. Moreover, it got a prize for being one of the most beautiful books in Switzerland in 2007. Der 15 schönsten Bücher etwa 2007, 2007, 2008. Also wir waren ja zweimal Rosmarie Zapfel, die Nationalrätin und ich. Wir waren ja dann zweimal in ähm, Oslo. Rosmarie Zapfel, in the National Councillor, and I went to Norway twice. We went to Oslo and talked to Geir Lundestad of the Nobel Prize Committee. He showed us around and took us to the Oval Room, where the walls are decorated with portraits of all the Nobel Prize laureates. Almost all of them, men. Practically no women. So I asked, where are the women? And he said, yes, that's true. Where are the women? I think he was a little bit shocked and pointed to some of the portraits of women on the wall. We laughed it off, and I said that it was really time for a change, and it was time for 1,000 women to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. But at the time we already knew that this would be almost impossible, since we didn't want to be nominated as an organization, but as 1,000 individual women. They offered us the chance of electing three women for the prize. So that's what we did. But we made it clear that the prize was meant for all the thousand women. We had decided to halt our activities if we didn't get the prize. But many women told us not to stop. They said that a lot of things had changed thanks to our initiative, that women had become much more visible and that, thanks to the extensive media coverage, the role of women had never been so strongly on the agenda as now. On the top of that, the Security Council had issued Resolution 1325, which acknowledged and supported women's role in peace processes and in post-conflict situations. That was the recognition that women's voices matter and that they do have a different perspective on conflicts, on war as well as on peace, because they live in different realities to men. They think differently because they are the ones who care for their children, for their family, and it is women who clear up the debris after each and every conflict, not only after World War II. Women are always the Trümmerfrauen, that is, those who put things back together again. 1325 in many ways is saying that not only women have keine Trümmermänner. Und vielleicht müsste das geschehen, dass Männer auch langsam zu Trümmermännern werden dieser Welt. Und dann haben wir gesagt, gut, wir machen weiter. Men hardly ever clear away the debris, and perhaps they should learn to do so. So, anyway, we organized a second exhibition called No Women, No Peace. 
We set it up in front of the Security Council's conference hall. It was an impressive and beautiful exhibition. We had a number of projects in Egypt, in Nepal, but we weren't happy about the way things were going. I think we felt a little bit grounded. We needed time, and I am grateful to our donors that they gave us the time we needed. It was difficult to shift from that lively, intense cooperation in which we experienced so much sisterhood into a new and different, I don't know. So, finally, we tied up all the experiences women have made in conflicts, the experience of not being heard, of not being considered when peace talks start, of being excluded from the negotiation table. We decided to set up women's peace tables, where women would be able to discuss questions such as what kind of peace do we want? What does peace mean to us? What role do we want to play in a future society? And how shall we represent the realities of women's, children's and other marginalized groups' realities in the peace process? All questions that are not considered in peace negotiations were to be the starting point of our new journey. And that's the work we are still doing today. The women's peace tables have undergone some changes, but still women from different parts of the world meet to share their experiences. They learn from each other and they bring in the experiences of other women. We set up a worldwide network and I'm very proud and grateful for that ein und um in ihren Ländern auch Erfahrungen von Frauen, die konkret an Friedenstischen teilgenommen haben. Es ist so eine Beziehung geworden, die ich großartig finde und für die ich wirklich sehr dankbar bin. Die Frauen haben verschiedene, die Frauen sind, haben sehr große Erfahrungen in Ausgrenzung, in Diskriminierung. Women constantly experience discrimination, exclusion. They know what it means to be oppressed, to be depreciated. So I want to stress again that it is crucial for any peace process to have women and their experiences at the table. Only women can testify and talk about what they went through during an armed conflict. Only women can express what it means to be raped, to see family members killed. And only if these experiences become part of the peace negotiations, only then can real peace grow. It's not only about counting arms and disarming all parties to a conflict. It's about bringing real life and real experiences into the peace process. Zählen um Waffenabgabe an Friedensverhandlungen. Es geht um sehr viel mehr. Es geht wirklich um das Leben. Es geht um das konkrete Leben nach diesen scheußlichen Erfahrungen.
Ich war in Bosnien-Herzegowina gleich nach dem Krieg und ich habe so eine Familie besucht, die hatten ein schönes Haus in der Nähe von Srebrenica, oh ja, 8000. I was in Bosnia, just after the war ended, where I had the chance to visit a family I knew. They had a nice house just outside Srebrenica, the site of the terrible massacre of Bosnian men and boys, as you probably remember. The woman I met said to me in her house, go outside and look to the first floor. There is a Serbian family living there, and that husband killed my two sons. Now... We are neighbors living under the same roof. I see him every day. She lived there with her sister and added, Although it is hard, I'm doing quite well. I don't talk to the Serbian family, but from time to time I make little signs to the wife of the man who killed my sons. For instance, I give her a little wave of the hand. I asked her, How is that possible? How can you live under such circumstances? And she replied, you know, we want peace, but we cannot make peace just with our friends. We have to make peace with our enemies too. We want to see them charged and brought to trial, but we cannot be enemies forever. That's why I make these little signs to the woman upstairs. Sometimes I even try to smile. I asked her, And she do that just like that? And she replied, I'm learning. women across the globe. A podcast about women's contribution to peace. This is a production of Podcast Lab in collaboration with the NGO Peace Women Across the Globe. The podcast series Peace Women Across the Globe is available on Spotify and iTunes on Facebook and the website 1000peacewomen.org. We welcome your comments. <laughs>